ಸುಧಾಪನ ಮಹಾಜನಂ ಭುವಮಾಧವಗೈ ನಿರ್ವಾಪನಂ ಶ್ರೀಕೈರಾವಚಂದ್ರೀಕವತಾರನಂ ವಿದ್ಯಾವಧೂಜ್ಜೀವನ ಅನಂದಂ ಬೂದಿವಾರನಂ ಪ್ರತಿಪದಂ ಪುನಮೃತಸ್ಪಾದನಂತ್ಮಸ್ನಪನಂಪಿಧಾಯತೆ ಶ್ರೀಕೃಷ್ಣ ಸಂಕೀರ್ತನ The holy name of Krishna cleanses the mirror of the heart and extinguishes the fire of misery in the forest of birth and death as evening lotus blooms in the moon's cooling rays the heart begins to blossom in the nectar of the name at last the soul awakens to its real inner treasure a life of love with Krishna again and again tasting nectar the soul dives and surfaces in the ever-increasing ocean of ecstatic joy. All phases of the self of which we may conceive are fully satisfied and purified and, at last, conquered by the all-auspicious influence of the holy name of Krishna. Illumination, Srila Srila Maharaj. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the pioneer of Sri Krishna Sankirtan. He said, I have come to inaugurate the chanting of the holy name of Krishna and that name will reach every nook and corner of the universe. Prithivitti achi jatu nagaradigram savratra prachahuive marnam What is the meaning of Samkirtan? Samyak means full and Kirtana means chanting. Together these two words form the word Samkirtan which generally means congregational chanting of the holy name of Krishna. But samyak means full not only in quantity but also in quality. Full quantity means extensive in number, congregational. Full quality means complete praise. Complete praise can only mean the glorification of Krishna and not any other gods. So sankirtan means complete kirtan, a song in praise of the complete whole, the absolute truth, anything else. is only a partial representation and therefore defective to a certain extent. Therefore Krishna should be praised. His glory should be chanted, for he is everything. He is the master and the dispenser of both good and bad, the absolute controller of everything. Everything is due to him. The fulfillment of all life is reached in him alone. Just as a horse may have reins to check his movements, but if left loose will run freely praise which is unchecked by any mundane purpose will run straight towards the supreme cause krishna the word shri means lakshmi devi krishna's potency this means that in sankirtan krishna's worship along with his potency for krishna's potency is included within him shri chaitanya mahaprabhu says that shri krishna sankirtan should thrive throughout the world it should be victorious without any hindrance param vijayate shri krishna sankirtanam it should be a spontaneous unchecked and natural flow it should be exclusive independent without reservation and this praise of krishna should be congregationally chanted that vibration is beneficial for the whole world only by surrender and pure devotion can we take the shri krishna sankirtan bhakti sadam sarasvati thakur in his comment on the shikshastra can in relation to this verse he mentions that there are different types of chanting maybe japa there may be kirtan and sankirtan so he there distinguishes between the three and he describes sankirtan as that kind of 
as mentioned here, complete chanting or pure chanting in a group that is in glorification of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Just as bhakti, sometimes we say, means Krishna, means service to Krishna, not anyone else. So really, kirtan is reserved for Krishna. But if people want to differ and say, no, there may be kirtan for Shiva, and kirtan for this one, and kirtan for that one, and so forth, then we may differentiate further. All right, we may grant you, may grant you that, if you insist. But sound kirtan, coming from these two words, samyak and kirtan, complete kirtan, complete glorification, must mean glorification of Krishna, because, in the least, Krishna has more wonderful qualities than anyone else, whether it be an ordinary jivatma, atomic soul, or the various demigods of the Brahma, Shiva, Narayan, or Vaikuntha, and so forth. The Lord has more qualities, more transcendental qualities than all of them. So, at least in that respect, there's more scope for glorification. Anantasesha has registered the complaint that I cannot keep up with this business. I have businesses glorifying the pastimes of the Lord, but I cannot keep up with that. And I have thousands of mouths with which to speak. Rupa Goswami has put it in another way, the Krishna Kirtan, Kirtan of Krishna, that must be and some kirtan, complete kirtan. He has described, oh, when I, these two syllables, Krishna, when I utter that, I think that only one tongue I have, how is it possible for me to adequately do justice to these two syllables? And not only that, if I had millions of tongues, I'd still be at a loss because I only have two ears with which to fully take advantage of that sound once vibrated. He goes on to then explain that when the Krishna Nam, the holy name of Krishna, dances in the courtyard of the heart, then the senses and mind and their capacity to move in any other direction becomes stopped. They become stunned. They have to stop and pay attention to the Lord's dance in the heart. What to speak of mind and senses having to stop and gaze at the Sankirtan, immovable? Here it is mentioned, Param Vijayate Sri Krishna Sankirtanam. So as mentioned, Sri means the Lord's potency. This is a, a wonderful thing, as I've mentioned before, about Indian philosophy in general in comparison to the other religious traditions of the world, that the potency of the Lord is also included. Whereas, for example, as we mentioned that in Christianity, there's no scope for that. By this type of evaluation, Shudamarsh considered even the Durga Puja to be superior in terms of its ontological scope and grasp, superior than Christianity. It's an interesting way of analyzing it. Although, we may hear talk of pure love in the Christian group, whereas that's not the talk of the Durga Puja. It's give me money, give me wealth. 
wealth, whatever it may be, still the conception of Godhead seems to be more developed, a less developed idea of what to get from there, but what's there, who's there, what Godhead is about and consists of is more developed. So there's some bandha is more developed. So Sri Krishna Sankirtan, it means the Lord and His potency. So what is the Hare Krishna then chanting in Sankirtan? If the name of Krishna dances in the heart, the courtyard of the heart, and that makes the senses inert and the mind inert. In other words, its capacity to go in other directions is stopped. It cannot. It's stunned. Hmm? has to pay attention there. What is causing the Lord to dance? What is causing Krishna to dance is Sri. We may also consider in that way. That Radha is giving cause for Krishna's dancing. How can it be otherwise? When she left the Rasalila dance, millions of other gopis could not satisfy him. He could not find interest in dancing with millions of other gopis in the absence of one. Radha. And when Mahaprabhu danced in Sankirtan in the Jagannath festival in Puri, in the bhava of Radha, Radha Bhava Duti, in the emotion and complexion of Radha, the Jagannath had to stop his cart to gaze upon that the dancing. So if we look at it in this way, then when the name of Krishna is dancing in the heart, dancing, his dancing can stop the mind and senses entirely from being able to move in any other direction. But his dancing may also be stopped at the full expression of Sankirtan or chanting the holy name Hare Krishna, Sri Krishna, Radha and Krishna. But at the dancing of Radha, he may dance and he may also be stunned. So what does it speak of capacity to stop our senses? Even Jagannath himself was stopped. Krishna himself was stopped and stunned by this affair. So, Kirtan, even if we grant to people that, yes, all right, you may have the Shiva Kirtan, the Durga Kirtan, Brahma Kirtan, whatever it may be, then we go one step further, but Sankirtan, that cannot mean anything else but Krishna. Complete, quantitatively, glorification of the Lord and qualitative. Quantitatively means in mass, mass prayer, mass gathering for chanting in a group, and qualitatively in the most complete way. In other words, it's only the, as in bhakti, as I mentioned, as I mentioned it's only the Krishna who can accept unlimited service from us. Various other agents of divinity can only accept so much service. And they're also bound to reciprocate. The Lord is not necessarily bound, Sri Krishna, not necessarily bound to reciprocate, although he says that he does. I do. I'm not, I don't, it's because it's my nature. There's no law that says I have to. 
the devas by my own law, my own arrangement of things. He mentions that arrangement in the Gita. What is that in the third chapter? Yognashishtashinosham. No, another Anyway, he says there's a natural arrangement that I've made between the demigods and man, and, and for man to be happy on earth, he must offer sacrifice, and they must reciprocate accordingly. In this way, system of law and order and structure has been arranged. But he is the king of the country of love, Krishna, so no law binds him. He says it himself, I'm not bound by anything. I have no duty. I have no responsibility whatsoever. I am the Lord of love, and love knows no laws. It's not to be bound by laws. In fact, it's law-breaking. Love is a law-breaking type of thing. I came in the room in the library, and Radharman was reading the Manu Samhita or something like that. At least I thought it was the Manu Samhita. I think we have a copy of that there. So, not that that's wrong, but I said, are you reading the laws of Manu or the love of Mahaprabhu? <laughs> So, law law is fulfilled in the love of Mahaprabhu, the love he came to bring. So Krishna not bound by any law. The devas by his laws are bound to reciprocate. He does reciprocate by the force of his very nature, affectionate nature. He's conquered by the by the love of his devotees. So he says, I reciprocate according to my devotee's approach to me. He doesn't have to, but he does. And complete kirtan, complete praise and glorification can only then mean that praise which is directed to him who has, as he says, the capacity to reciprocate accordingly to the extent of your praise, I have the capacity to reciprocate. The devas don't have that capacity. They can reciprocate to a point as the natural arrangement has been made within the universe. An, uh, an arrangement is there to a point they can reciprocate. And they're bound to reciprocate even if it may, as for example in the case of Lord Shiva causing difficulty. You know the story that Rikkasur petitioned Lord Shiva that uh, through austerities and penances that he might have the power that whatever he touched would turn, would crack, break. A real bright fellow, yeah, really high ideal. You could judge a man by his ideal. So he wanted the power that whatever he touched would break. He got the power and he decided to break Lord Shiva. He wanted to t turn it on Lord Shiva, so then he chased Lord Shiva all over the whole universe until Narayan intervened and said, hey, how do you know it works? Maybe it doesn't even work. Touch your head and find out. This is just indicative of how bright he was. He touched his own head, of course, and it cracked. So Krishna, Krishna and I are going to get in that kind of difficulty. He saves the devas from the difficulty that comes in terms of their interaction with man. There's good that comes, the difficulty that comes is the way of material dealings, all within the realm of karma. <coughs> We cannot be sure-footed in any way in our perverty mark in the, in, the, in the path of material progress, even if it is religious, and within a religious context. Nard Muni revealed this to the king, Prachini Barishat, 
that in the fourth canto of Bhagavan, he revealed him, you've been performing so many yagyas and all, taking so many things into consideration, but you don't know that in many of your yagyas you made a slight error, and there's a reaction waiting to haunt you. And he gave him a vision of all the people who were waiting to get their revenge, to get their satisfaction from him. So, this is not sure footing. A slight mistake here will be very detrimental. The injured performed the yagya to be protected from his enemy. But because of the mispronunciation of the mantra, a demon came that would be his enemy. So, a little slip. And as the English adage goes, there's many a slip between the cup and the lip. Param padam yati padam nadeisham. At every step, there's danger. Hmm? What to speak then of Kali Yuga? As oceanic, the ocean has been used. Ocean means fathomless. You can't fathom what is the depths of the ocean, so the depths to which fault and discrepancy pervades our existence in Kali Yuga is oceanic, flooded with faults. There's nowhere, nowhere you can step to rectify without further doing wrong. This is generally the case. Therefore, Parikshit Maharaj, tested by Sukadev, rejected the price chitta, the atonement for impiety, which brings about hellish life by way of piety. Further, he rejected the Ganamarg as an incomplete means to save oneself from, from the difficulty that had just been described in the previous canto, the hellish planets, <coughs> material life in general is hellish. The Ganamarg, he said, oh, that's like bamboo. You, you, you plant a bamboo, if you know about bamboo, it grows like wildfire. And if you cut it off at the top, it's, it's very difficult once you've planted the bamboo to stop it from growing. It just grows. And grows. So he said, yeah, this Gan is like that, the culture of knowledge, fine, but it, it doesn't uproot the problem. But kechit kevalaya bhaktya vasudeva parayana agham nihara eva vaskarai. He said, if, you, if a big, big fog comes, cover the city, like we used to live in San Francisco and every afternoon a big fog would roll in. So fog means a condensation of water and so fire will dissipate the condensation of water. So if you were to start a big fire, say on the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> to dissipate the fog, the bridge would burn and so would the whole city of San Francisco, but the likes of the fire that you'd have to have. So in the course of doing away with the fog, you do away with yourself. This is another way of looking at the Ganamarg. It is a systematic process for doing away with the fog of illusion, but in the process you do away with yourself. <laughs> it is self-extinguishing. <laughs> Not a very good idea. The whole idea makes no sense whatsoever. The logic that the Absolute is undifferentiated makes no room for even the perception of it. such a thing as imperceivable. If there's no individual to perceive, all of the statements 
of the Vedic literature that in some way seem to indicate and give support to the Mayabad thesis of undifferentiated Brahman and consciousness as the all-in-all, all, all have to be understood in terms of basic common sense. But if you cannot perceive it, if there's no perceiver, so it doesn't follow logically. So, no, he said that Krishnanam or Vasudeva Parayana, what does he say? That Kechit uh, Kevalaya Bhaktya. So Kevalaya Bhaktya, that is the idea of the Sankirtan. Unchecked, uninhibited, unalloyed, flowing to Krishna. Kechit Kevalaya Bhaktya. It's a rare thing, Kechit Kevalaya Bhaktya. But this thing is like the sun. When the sun comes up, fog goes away, and you don't get burned up in the process. Everything remains, only the fog clears. So everything is there, but no, no cloud. Not a cloudy picture, a clear day, a clear picture. So when the sun of pure devotion arises in the heart, of course this comes out in this stroke as we'll go on to see it. This describes seven different stages of development as a result of the chanting. Here tonight we're just discussing the basic concept of the chanting, Sankirtan, complete glorification of the Lord. It must be directed towards Him, it must be intended for Him, because only to Him can we give complete glorification and get complete reciprocation. He, he says, it's my nature to reciprocate according to the degree of surrender and in service by which I'm approached. This is my nature. So the devas and other agents and so forth of this world, or to give ourselves to the culture of knowledge and so forth, this is an incomplete type of process. If it is kirtan for this one or that one, it cannot be unalloyed, it cannot be unchecked, it cannot be uninhibited. And all such kirtan and glorification has an appeal attached to it and the devas are bound to reciprocate and so forth, and this is what this world is about. So Krishna Kirtan, uh, San Kirtan, that is a different thing. It is also complete in this sense. In the fullest sense, Samyak means complete and Kirtan glorification. So it means for Krishna. How is it complete? Ultimately, he says, Yajatamam prapadyante tam As you approach, I have the power to reciprocate. Such is my nature. I am the center of everything. And as the infinitesimal atomic particle of my own self approaches me for your own nourishment, I have the capacity to nurture and nourish you completely, to saturate every atomic particle of your being with the happiness of myself, the joy that I'm made of. I have such capacity. Don't go to any lesser agency of myself. They're all, it's only me, as our Prabhupada used to say, consciousness means Krishna consciousness. Outside of Krishna there's no consciousness, only varying degrees. Just like shine means sun, so shine means electricity, but no, it ultimately is, ultimately is coming from the sun, the source of our ordinary light in this world. So consciousness means Krishna. So. All right, he has capacity, he says, 
to reciprocate fully. We've heard this. But Sri Krishna Sankirtan is so complete, the glorification is so complete, that it exhausts his supply. Is another way to appreciate. Generally speaking, he has the capacity to reciprocate. But if we take Sankirtan and we take it from the, the, the giver, bringer of the name himself, the inaugurator, as mentioned here, of Sankirtan, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, who brought the chanting, who has given us this Shikshastak, these eight shlokas, explaining his whole thesis. The Nam Dharma is all fully explained here. Sambandha, Abhideya, Prayojana, all explained. The whole sum and substance of the Vedic knowledge, what it aims to give, the direction in which it points, and so forth, all found in these teachings. So, generally speaking, complete, and he is, complete glorification means glorification of him, and he can completely reciprocate. So, because of that, we can give completely of ourselves. And we'll get more energy for giving from that kind of giving. Like Sridhar said, give to live. The Christians say, to give is to receive. Something like that. <laughs> so give to live. Life, life comes from giving. Not from being on the getting side, but from on the giving side. So we give ourselves to him. But if we take the example of the inaugurator of Krishna Sankirtan, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he said, Rajavadu Vargina Bhagavadita. What is that method of approach of the Lord that was conceived by the gopis? Nothing is better than that. Neither will there ever be something more complete means of glorifying and satisfying the Lord than what they have shown. This is the teaching of Mahaprabhu. Unatojula Rasasabhakti Sriyam. Suryamadar has called it like that. This is the wonderful thing, wonderful, most wonderful thing that he came to give, this ideal. Such a thing is possible. Now, in the garden, in Puri, one Prata Purudra Maharaj finally got the chance to get close to the Lord. He got so close that the Lord stood up and embraced him. How? Tavakatamritam tapta jivanam kaliviriditam kalmasapaham shravanamangalam srimaratatam vigurantijay buridhadhanaha. This shloka brought Mahabharu from his trance. He stood up and said, Who is chanting that? and embraced the king who was dressed in ordinary dress, not in his regal royal attire, as advised and coached by Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, Roy Ramananda. They coach him, dress in an ordinary way, and come and recite this section of Bhagavad Gopi Gita. So this is a very nice verse. Tavakatam Ritam Taptajivanam. This Tavakatam Ritam, this Kata Amritam, this talk that is like the nectar talks, it means the nectar talks of Krishna. Prabhupada once called deathless nectar of Krishna talk something like that. In that, that was in a, in a discussion of Bhagavatam where he gave the idea that this deathless nectar of Krishna Kata, maybe it was a, the slope, it's in the slope, I forget that slope, but he said, in this way, who is engaged in this, Krishna Kirtan, he has no fear of death. In fact, he invites Yamaraj to join him in Kirtan, whom everyone is afraid of. 
So after that, sometimes the devotees would, you'd hear them in the kirtan, Yamaraj! <laughs> Inviting him to come. <laughs> Trying to apply that. Thinking that went on for a little while. So at any rate, this Tabukadamritam Taptajivam, these topics, this Krishna kirtan, this is life giving nectar, life giving ambrosia. We can live on this. And who is our example? Another. That Sankhya Purvakanamagananatibi Nidrahara Vihara Kadivijito. Sankhya Purvakanamagananatibi. The Goswamis, Srinivas Acharya tells us, by regularly chanting Sankhya Purvaka Nama Gana Natibi and dancing also, by regular chanting and dancing in Krishna Sankirtan on a regular basis, that Nidra Hara Vihara Kadivijita, this was their life. Nidra surpassed, sleeping. Nidra Hara, collecting, that means eating. That when they did the Madhukari, <laughs> they didn't evaluate her Madhukari in terms of how much the people were disposed for giving of the chapatis. We were at Barsana the other day doing the Parikram, and Maharaj mentioned one of Sanyasi, godbrother of ours, he lives in the Braj and uh, wanders around. So Maharaj quoted him that he had said, such and such Maharaj said, that this is a very good place for Madhukari. I said, that is not Madhukari. You know what the Madhukari means? It means it goes from, like a bee, goes from flower to flower and takes a little honey and then to the next flower, never staying at one place too long. So I said, this is not Madhukari. If you say, this is a good place for Madhukari, that means your consciousness is filling your belly. Do you understand? It's good because we get a lot of chapatis here, people give regularly. So what is the meaning of that? You live in the bridge, you know, dressing as a sannyasi, living an austere life, but for what? You're doing the same thing as ordinary people. Your consciousness is just filling the belly. We should take the example of Das Goswami in Puri. Rabbanu Das Goswami, what he thought, how he analyzed his own collecting and begging at the Singhadwara. He ended up despised his own mentality as it became exposed to him, thinking, oh yes, he will give. He gave yesterday. She gave something the day before. This way, some calculating about filling the belly only in the name of begging. This is not the ideal. They conquered over eating, sleeping, collecting, so forth. Well, those, they said, of course, a very extreme example, and for good reason, according to the time and place. We may think, well, why Bhakti Siddhanta didn't? Why wouldn't you find Bhakti Vinod doing that, or Bhakti Vedanta Maharaj. This morning, I think we heard Parmanavati Maharaj commenting about taking the feast rather than fasting from the grains on the day of Shuddha Maharaj's appearance. One of our Godbrothers came and was fasting from the grains as a rut as a vow for Kartik. So he followed that on the day of the, the charge's appearance, when there's a Mahotsav, a festival. Not very clear thinking. Today Maharaj went there and he said, Oh, I have made a great offense. How can I rectify this? And on the Chitta Maharaj, once the Sudananda Swami came there, did, I don't know if Maharaj told this story this morning, this connection, but um, the Chitta Maharaj repeated this many times in talks. Yashodananda Swami had come there and was on a codice and he was chanting kirtan in the temple and he came up to see Guru Maharaj on the veranda there and, and after some discussion Guru Maharaj said, so you will take some 
prashad, anukop, on the Kadasi day, that is not without many grains. And he said, well, Maharaj, he said, I have a policy that I'm always doing the near jal fasting on the Kadasi. This is my practice for a long time. And Shittimar said, near jal. And you are chanting and jumping, and he had a, he had a lot of energy, that man, to leap up in the air, about three feet off the ground, and kirtan while playing the drum. So he said, yes, this is my, my practice for a long time. He said, oh, I see, huh. Kanyan Nisodananan Swami said, but if it is your desire, then I will take Prashad. So Sridhar Marjan had him take Prashad, of course. And in explaining this story several times, he said, Nisodananan Swami, yes, he has understood Vaishnavism. In, in that sense, by this example, he's, he has understood. The Vaishnavism, it lies beyond all these regulative principles. If they serve, the development of the Vaishnava conception, then they have value. Otherwise, they're counterproductive. Niyamagraha, we find in the Upadesh Amrita. So anyway, they, why they didn't, they don't set such examples. Shri Maharaj, he was not extremely showing an example of renunciation for our Prabhupada. Prabhupada was happy that he could serve hundreds of devotees, puris cooked in ghee, with his delight. I saw him delight, and they will all eat puris and halava cooked in ghee. For his festival, he had it imported from Australia, and he was tickled pink to think like that. So, this is again the Vaishnava conception. It is not fasting, it is feasting. The Akadasi day. These two things have to be harmonized, <laughs> because it is fasting, but it is feasting also. We went on a walk with Prabhupada in Chicago, Tamal Krishnamars asked, is fasting auspicious, or excuse me, is Ikadasi auspicious, or is it inauspicious? Do we fast to celebrate it, or do we fast to counteract the inauspiciousness? And Prabhupada said, well, that is most auspicious. He said, it doesn't mean fasting, it means feasting. So this is the highest, of course, version of conception of the ideal. In an ordinary sense, the sadhaka will think like this, that on the Ikadasi day, as the moon regulates the tides, the waters, so there are waters, fluid within our body. When the moon shows its face on Ikadasi, these fluids rise in the body. It gives rise to these fluids and they press on the senses. So the tendency to indulge sensually is increased on that day. So in order to avoid that, we may fast. This is the general conception. So how can it be feasting? Well, the, in terms of the aprakrita conception, aprakrita is a word used in Chaitanya Charitamrita which explains Vrindavan. Aprakrita it is Prakrita means the mundane world is aprakrita. It is like the material world at a glance, but it's really quite different. Whereas Vaikuntha is not like the material world. Streets are paved with gold. But Vrindavan is a very simple, rural, and, and so forth. And so it looks like the mundane, but it's not. So in terms of that conception, who lives in that conception, and this is what, where Bodhi Vaishnavism ultimately takes us, 
Atikarasi must mean feasting. Why is that? Because there they think that, oh, when the moon shows that face, then although we're giving unalloyed devotion to Krishna, we're giving everything to Krishna. This is another problem. If it is an auspicious day for serving Krishna, well, already we're giving everything. An unalloyed devotee is already giving everything. How can he give more on Ikadasi? Because on that day, when the moon shows that face, the fluids in Krishna's body rise, and his tendency for enjoying and his senses increases. So we'll prepare the feast for Krishna and serve him more food, more feasting. In this way, Ikadasi means feasting. And of course, well, being his servants, we'll take the remnants of that, something like that. So Vaishnavism and Gaudi Vaishnavism is like all positive. <laughs> Nothing negative to be found there. So they are present more in more recent days than from the Goswamis. Acharyas have shown different example for the purpose of the mission as is necessary and so on and so forth. The Goswamis, they were just beginning to expound on a new, for the world is concerned, system of thought, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's precepts. And the standard fare was monism. And Mahaprabhu himself took Ekadanda Sanyas, just to show you how prevalent it was at the time. So they were introducing this and there that they would not be criticized by the impersonalists, Shankarites and so forth, that did austerities to the extreme. They showed this kind of example. This is one way of appreciating it. They showed also this kind of example. That we're not like, we're not advocating sense enjoyment here, but we're not advocating renunciation either. Bhakti, of which renunciation is a byproduct. We're not devotees of renunciation, we're devotees of Krishna. And renunciation will be affected automatically in the course of that culture. So, they conquered over all these things. They forgot about them. Forgot to eat, forgot to sleep. They're, in other words, they're living on that. Not on eating, not on by sleeping. So, it completely eradicates the sinful life. This is a negative side, a byproduct. It's life-giving, a new type of life, a life of nectar. And he said, Oh, the people who are bearing this news, these good tidings to the people, they are doing the greatest work. This is found in the Gopi Gita. So some reference to this kirtan, glorification of the Lord, Sankirtan, bringing the news to others in mass. It either means we're going to get a lot of people together to do this, or we're going to bring this to a lot of people. We're going to bring this to the masses. Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur coined the phrase Brihat Murdanga. Kirtan, Krishna Kirtan. We have to have a dynamic conception of that. You may play the keys of the computer rather than the, the head of the drum. It may be Kirtan. So we have to have some dynamic thinking about that, not some stereotyped idea of what is the kirtan of Krishna. But when Mahaprabhu anyway heard this sloka about oh, those people who bring the 
nectar of the talks of Krishna, the glorification of Krishna to the world. They are doing the greatest service. Most, then he, he got up, he embraced the king. He appreciated this. So if we analyze the Sankirtan of Mahaprabhu, his type of congregational chanting, we have to draw some parallel then with the inner experience of Mahaprabhu. And what is that? As I say, it is complete, most complete in this sense, that although Krishna promises, according to the approach to me, I reciprocate, I have such power. When this Sankirtan is properly performed, fully, most completely, Krishna's supply is exhausted. This verse may be said to be a reference to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna gives this promise, but if you apply this verse fully in the context of the greatest devotees, we see that this promise could not be kept. That is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's idea of Sankirtan breaks the promise of Krishna. He had to tell the gopis at Kurukshetra so that I can reciprocate accordingly, but there's nothing more I can do for you. The, the, the devotion that you show, know that it has exhausted my supply, it has purchased me, therefore it is superior to myself. This is Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that love is ontologically higher than God, than the Lord. Both the Lord and the devotee are drawn to the center of love. This has been described as the unique contribution of Gaudiya Vaishnavism to the world of religious thought. Everyone says, every religion says that God is supreme, not us. We say there's something superior even to God. And we might think in the context of what we're discussing, Sankirtan, that devotion, that glorification of the Lord, taking his name with such complete devotion that he becomes purchased by that. He had to tell them, there's nothing more I have to give. Settle for what you've got. It's more than I've got, is what he said. You come to take everything from me. You want something more, but I have to tell you, you have more than me. I'm attracted to what you have that is superior. The joy that you know is more than I know. And this is Mahaprabhu wants to find that out. Krishna wants to find what is the joy that she has in relation to me. That I want to find for myself. So in this way we may appreciate Sankirtan. That is a complete glorification of, of God. It's not a partial idea, a complete idea. Any question? Yes. Uh, Sri Prabhupada writes about that there's an invisible link between the demigods and the monkeys. Can you explain that? We said the demigod is, is in the body, is, or is it the demigod is on the planet well, and it controls the body organs, or is the demigod is <coughs> All those things, there's a demigod behind every function, every human function, every animal function, whatever it may be blinking of the eyes to breathing and so forth and they're keeping track how you spent your breath how you used your eyes and then afterward there is a record he blinked this many times and he looked at this many things and this is what he how he used his eyes okay 
So, all right, what kind of eyes now does he deserve? What kind of nose does he deserve? What kind of ear does he, should he get? According to his desire, what he showed. He had this particular body, he used it in this way. He cultured a certain consciousness through that body. Now, what is the body that should... That one's finished. Now, let's give him one that fully suits the consciousness that he had. We take all these things into consideration. And invisible link means that they are the suppliers of the necessities of life for human society. So there's an interrelationship between the adhyatmic, adhibotic, adhidaivic aspects of material existence. There's a whole interreaction. It's not invisible if you study the Vedic knowledge, it's visible, but for ordinary people it is invisible. They don't even believe that there are demigods. Just as the simple example of that you get electricity, you have an electric bill. You get water, you have a water bill. At least in the Western countries, you have a water bill here. You have to pay for the water bill, you have to pay for the heat and light and, and so forth. So there are, these are universal agencies within the government. And in this way there's a link. That it's invisible to ordinary people. Therefore, they don't regard it. And sometimes they have to live with the lights turned out. Who doesn't recognize this link is not a civilized person. It's not living a human life. So such people are a disturbance to human life. Therefore, just like if a man is drunk, he's a disturbance. He can't listen to reason. It's taken to lock him up. So when we say, well, white people are punished, but they don't know why they're being punished. What is the value of that? What is the value? He's being punished, but he doesn't know why. What is the value? What kind of God is that? He punishes you, but you don't know why you're being punished. But this example may be given. If a drunk man is such a disturbance to the society, you can't sit down and educate him and say, look, you know, we're going to put you here in jail. We're going to punish you in this way. Just you take him punished until he becomes sober to a certain extent. And when he becomes more sober, then he can learn what punishment is about and why it's inflicted and so forth and so on. Of course, the other example is, somebody says, well, why am I being punished? You say I'm being punished by the laws of karma, but I don't know why I'm being punished. I don't know what I've done. And so how worth the potential for a rectification? You say, well, we're telling you why. <laughs> the Vedic knowledge is there to tell you all about it. But if you're such a disturbance to the society that you don't want to find out, and then lock you up. We'll make you a stone. You become a tree. Become a tiger. It's just common sense. So those who don't recognize this link, then they're disturbance to society. So invisible, maybe invisible to the naked eye, but we're taught to see with more than naked eye. Shastra Chakshu. To see through the eyes of scripture. Then we may see more than what we can with this material eyes. Another question? You said before that demigods are mostly karma which are bhaktas. Is it then an idea that the end result of karma which are bhakti is pure bhakti? Well, it could be. And the ideal is that it, it creates renunciation eventually. The karma side is eventually works out and pure bhakti can come from that side. Yeah, Prabhupada Mark, in a sense, it's the gradual, it's, yeah, you could say that.
under good guidance and all. We're talking in that context, under good guidance. You're given an initiation in the conception of pure bhakti, but your bhakti is not pure, it's on the level of karma mishra bhakti, but that's the conception you're giving and culturing, so you'll go up naturally from there. Yes, so. Well, when I say that we'll go up, I'm talking about who's in touch with the culture of the ideal, who's been like initiated into the culture of pure bhakti as such a guru, such a conception and so forth. And sometimes we may think that other demigods have not been as fortunate to have that. So therefore when they go up as a demigod and come down and up and down and up and down and up and down. That's all within the Brahman, the Brahmite, without Bhagavan. He hasn't yet become fortunate. Hmm? Guru Krishna Prasade Bhai Bhakti Ladavi, wandering up and down, up and down. Therefore, sometimes we consider, well, who has this connection is better off than the demigods in Bharat Varsh. But in a general sense, we don't necessarily think of the demigods, the height of the demigods is Brahma, and his, he's an example of Karma Mishra Bhakti. He's kind of the epitome of Karma Mishra Bhakti, something like that. As Shiva is of Gan Mishra Bhakti. But not all the demigods are very much positively engaged in bhakti as Brahma is. Of course, now we're thinking differently, perhaps, because we're talking about demigods, we talk about all of the maybe administrative heads and so forth, Indra and Chandra and so forth. Then there are so many demigods in the sense of denizens of heaven. Many demigods come down from the heavens to earth. So therefore, we, we think, oh, that connection with the real guru and the real culture of... See, like, you, you're involved in the culture of Shuddha Bhakti. Many demigods are not consciously involved in the culture of Shuddha Bhakti. Even Brahma and Indra themselves try to cause trouble for Krishna. Lord Shiva knows. <laughs> yeah, he knows. <laughs> So, as the person who bears these tidings to us, this good news, is considered Sarvadeva Maya Guru, better situated than the demigods. When Gopukumar in Brihadpavatam went to Vaikuntha, he saw Brahma paying his obeisances, Indra and Shiva. He was a little embarrassed. He said, gee, the demigods are paying their obeisances to me? I'm just a boy, a village boy? How can it be? So they were regarding what is Shuddha Bhakti. He was involved in the culture of that. So as, as Guru who brings that is considered to be a worshipable entity in the eyes of the demigods, so one who's involved in that culture may be considered to be in a better position than some of them. But we're speaking in general terms because we may also think that Brahma is also involved in that culture. He's a head of the Sampradaya and so forth. Yes? Can you kind of explain again how our serving of Ikada should increase this enshrinement of Krishna? I couldn't really get that one. You were mentioning about rising in the morning, you know, influence by. Right, so in Golok, in Vrindavan, how do they think of Krishna? They think of Krishna as an ordinary boy, right? So they think that when a moon in Golok, which isn't necessary, 
what is necessary. It's not necessary, but for the pastimes, there must be one. It's not necessary in terms of giving light in, in, in an ordinary sense. That is the land of light. So, because they're thinking of Krishna as an ordinary boy, then they think that when the moon shows this face, that the fluids in Krishna's body are pressing. And so on that day, his tendency for enjoying, although it's unlimited, it's somehow increased within the conception of that Krishna is an ordinary boy and so the moon is showing his face, his tendency to eat more and taste more and enjoy more is increased. So our chance to do more service arises. So what are we going to do? Are we going to fast or are we going to feast? We're going to offer, prepare a feast for Krishna. It's an auspicious day. It's an auspicious day because I want to serve Krishna unlimitedly and I'm trying to do so. And on this day, the limits by which he can be pleased there seem to be increased. Something like that. You follow? Yes. This is the real idea of the codice that should be brought out. <laughs> this is a happy idea. <laughs> Anything else? Another question? There are different ways to do. In Gaudiya Math, mostly they chant like that. You're referring to first chanting Hare Krishna, then the response, then chanting Hare Ram, and the response. But this all can be done so many ways. You have to understand Prabhupada's spirit because Prabhupada created a certain movement. And then there were other movements of different types of chanters and things which were unauthorized and so on, especially here in Vrindavan. So, for example, near the very end of his manifest pastimes, we always chanted, Bhaja Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasati Gaurabhakta Vrindas. So one day, I was there from his bed, he said, it should be Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Jai Advaita Gadadhar and he was thinking something about his like it was in his like spirit of conquest for the pure ideal of Mahaprabhu. And at that moment he thought other people in these unauthorized groups like who chant Hare Krishna Hare Ram Nitaigor Radhe Sham and conceived that Nityananda Prabhu is Radha and so forth. And that he was, we are against that ideal, that misconception. So they're chanting just outside the door, Krishna Balaram Mandir. You used to be able to hear them chanting there. So Prabhupada does like further differentiate himself and his movement from them. He thought they also chant Bhaja Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasati Gaur Bhaktarinda. So he said, we will chant Jai Sri Krishna. Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Jayadvaita Gadadhar Shivasadi Gaur Bhaktarin. So, about a, a year later, I was in one temple and one devotee came and he was really like worried because we were chanting Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasadi Gaur Bhaktarin. So I thought Prabhupada said it should be Jai. Jai Sri Krishna and Jayadvaita. Not Jai Sri Krishna and Sri Advaita. And, uh, I looked at him, what, are you mad or something? 
you know, are we understanding this thing substantially or only on scratching the, the surface of it? For many, many years we chanted Bhajashri Krishna. Does that mean it wasn't bona fide? And because one day he said, Chant Jai Shri Krishna, that Bhaja is no longer bona fide. He, he did that, not like an absolute, it's a relative thing. To further, in a moment of the spirit of conquest for Mahaprabhu's pure ideal, he made a statement like that to differentiate us further from that group. And we mostly imbibe that and chant Jai Shri Krishna. We don't chant Bhaja Shri Krishna, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's not bona fide. And there are many bona fide groups that may chant Bhaja Shri Krishna, Chaitanya, Prabhunityananda, Nagodiamath, and so forth. And uh, similarly, um, Prabhupada may have made some statements about chanting Hare Krishna Mahamantra. And we chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. That doesn't mean that if you chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, then the others join in. Hare Krishna. Then you chant, and you break it up like that, so that it suddenly goes somewhere else. You know, it doesn't take you to Krishna anymore. You know, it takes you to the, to the Brahman or something. I don't know what you know they think. People who interpret it like that. And I once saw an article about that. About it. we only chant. Hare Shri Krishna Chaitanya three times and we only chant Hare Krishna this way we don't break it up and if we do we're not following Prabhupada and who knows what our fate will be I mean this is not a very dynamic way you know of understanding these kind of instructions so this is an example where form gets the upper hand over substance and when form gets the upper hand over substance then it goes to Sahajya then it goes there. So this is the danger that we have to avoid. That obviously, are the words of our charge and so forth are fathomless as advices and so forth. And we will do good often to take them literally. But if we do become acquainted by serving those words with the ideal behind it, then we can take all of those words and look at them again and render them in a, in a dynamic way. And that's what preaching and spreading Krishna consciousness is about. I'm not putting a cap on it. So, that's just to give you an explanation. Now, why we do it like that? Well, personally, in the Gaudiya Vaishnava Society, I started that, and I started that because in Sridhar Marsha's Moth, they chant like that. Okay. Now, it's not that one form is superior to another form of doing it. But I did that, I instituted that, and a few other things, a few different songs. And when the Premadvani prayers are chanted at the end of the kirtan, we stand up instead of bowing down. And the reason I instituted some of those things was just to shake people up who came from ISKCON, to make them think. Because sometimes they'd come and they'd go, they don't bow down at the Premadvani. <laughs> wow, these people, you know. They don't do the Guru Puja every day. We don't have a formal Guru Puja every day. In fact, we have it once a year on the Vyasa Puja, formally. Point is that we identified, we could understand by the grace of Srila Siddharmarsh that certain people in Iskand at large is being locked into a very stereotyped conception of what Krishna consciousness is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You need an answer? Turn to page 34. It's right there. 
There's nothing, you know, dynamic about it. If you don't chant 16 rounds by midnight, you'll turn into a pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like that. (laughs) So, we wanted to do something that would cause persons to think a little bit. At one time in the society, in the Gaudiya Vaishnava society, I started changing things. I said, so one, one day I said, so now we will not have class. I said, you'll chant 32 rounds. And sometimes I tell them, don't chant at all. I got things for you to do today. Don't chant. I was explaining this to one godbrother in Denver who came to see me. He was trying to understand. I said, sometimes, you know, I hear the devotees, they don't chant all 16 rounds. They only chant four or something like that. I said, sometimes they don't chant any rounds. He said, oh, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, but please try to understand. If you woke up in the morning and Prabhupada told you, don't ch- chant any rounds today, drive your van into the ocean, would you do it? He said, yeah. I said, okay. Do you understand now the principle? They've got a guru. They've got an acharya, and they're getting it from him. And don't think they're not getting Prabhupada. And Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Dhaka and Shudamars, they are but they're getting him in a real way, in an invisible way to you. Because they're not getting it in the same form and shape, but they're getting it in a real way. And what you're getting is some like other Prabhupada, some other idea. They're catching on, because unless, as Parmaviti Maharaj was so wonderfully pointing out this morning, we have a real guru and a real connection with guru by our serving spirit or our desiring to have that serving spirit. It may come, it may wane, but we want to make it a permanent part of us. Then we're prone to so much deviation. The book is not enough. What is the book anyway? The book is the words of the Acharya. So the Acharya, the living agent, is more important. Sridhar Maharaj gave an example. The passive agent, the book, and the active agent, the sadhu. The sadhu, the saint, brings to life the book in a way that it means something to us in terms of our present situation, our necessity and so forth. So, anyway, we did a few different things with the express purpose of just causing people to think a little bit more. We figured if they couldn't get past that, a few formalities and changes, well, what are we going to tell them? You know, that was too much of a stumbling block for them. Because we don't want to put unnecessarily stumbling blocks in their way, but a few things here and there may cause them to just stop and think a little bit more. So to make these kind of adjustments, sometimes like I told well, there will be no class. Now you're chanting 32 rounds. Because now we may go to class and it may become mechanical for us. Chanting may become mechanical for us also. So to change that around, that may be helpful. That may cause us to think a little bit more. What is Krishna consciousness? Is it these rituals or are these rituals details meant to deliver us in the proximity of the principle and and the substance? They are. And the details may differ according to acharya. But if we have a real acharya, a real guru in the line of Srila Prabhupada, then we will get Prabhupada also. But if we don't, to the extent that we don't, we don't get the real Prabhupada because we get the pick and choose facility. We get to pick what I heard one of Prabhupada's disciples say that Prabhupada said, which does get pretty far out. Sevananda was in one restaurant in Seattle where he was working, vegetarian restaurant run by some devotees, 
He was at the restaurant there, and one devotee said something about, well, I heard, he, he's another guy who's like initiated by somebody, but he's really not initiated at all because that guy isn't even in the movement anymore. He said, well, I heard, you know, Prabhupada said that we shouldn't be philosophical. <laughs> and another godbrother chimed in and said, yeah, I heard he didn't a book. And Shavananda looks at him like, well, man, that's a different Prabhupada than I heard or I knew. Now, I took that and I thought, yeah, see how things can get distorted. This is the teaching, this is Gyan Shunya Bhakti. We're not teaching people to be philosophers. Prabhupada didn't want us to be philosophers. He wanted us to be devotees. But that doesn't mean he didn't want us to understand the philosophy so that we could know to be devoted to and how to devote ourselves to see how things get distorted. So without somebody there to say, that's not what he meant. This is what he means when he says this here. I mean, I'm telling you, there are things that Prabhupada wrote in his books and purports, and I know, Parmatwati Maharaj knows, other devotees, God brothers know, why he wrote it at the time, what was the climate, what was happening in ISKCON, what problem there was at the time, or what new good news there was that influenced him. He was writing on a daily basis, and he was writing to the world, yes, but he was writing to his disciples also, and more so, for that matter. So, certain instances, I know why he wrote that purport, what he was thinking at the time, you know, to some extent, relatively in terms of the movement and so forth, why he said it, and it's a time and a place, kind of a circumstance type of advice, and it's very easy that it can be misapplied. And we have that some of that insight and so forth. And we were serving. I mean, we collected the money by selling those books to make those books possible. I mean, we're inside the book. Our seva is also inside the book. A fellow told me some time ago, he said, well, gee, you know, if Prabhupada was here today, I'd immediately take initiation. I said, you know, it's not that simple. You have faith in Prabhupada. Why? Because of people like me and other God-brothers and the whole movement that's been resurrected. By what? By the exercise of our faith and our sincerity in connection with Prabhupada. When Prabhupada appeared here in the Western world, it wasn't like, oh, here comes a bona fide guru. Says in the book, this is what a bona fide guru. We didn't have those books to know what a bona fide guru was. You know, we had what everybody has. Some sincerity, everybody has that. We're all sat, we're truth, that we're truthful to some extent. As much as we have, we have to muster that up and then something comes back. And it comes back and says, yes, looks good, he's the guru. Go for it. But until you go for it with some risk, there's no gain. So don't think that just Prabhupada just walked by and I, and I go, oh yeah, that's my guru, I know it. And we had to go through what anybody has to go through, this crisis, this faith crisis, gathering our sincerity, and even after we accept it, we still had to put all our sincerity there and apply it and kind of like close your eyes and just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and wait for something, confirmation to come back and so forth. So I said, you have to do that. You have to be in that situation. That's what it means to find our Guru. As Maharaj was pointing out, quoting Jiva Goswami, it's not an, out of ecclesiastical consideration that we will accept this connection because the Church says so. And you may get in a situation like that and you may get a, a bona fide Guru and it may develop from there. 
that's also possible. And that will be a result of Sukriti. But that happens. But generally speaking, we have to muster up all our sincerity and faith and apply it and go through some kind of crisis, so to speak, and that's purifying us. So when we have that kind of connection, then in terms of our succession, then the new people, they get Prabhupada. God brothers look and they think that that I have no connection with Prabhupada. What to speak of my disciples? They think like that. But my students, they don't think like that. They think, oh, we are getting the real Prabhupada. And when they get this opportunity, this facility to pick and choose, oh, Prabhupada said this, and Prabhupada said that. Or they read in the book and they don't know why it's written, or they just, they haven't read all the books. You know, it's the same thing. Pick up the Devi Purana, and you'll think that the goal of the Vedas is to worship, you know, the mother, Durga. We're supposed to take it in its entirety, not out of context, in its entirety as it is, qualitatively and quantitatively, the whole thing. So when you get this pick-and-choose type of facility, then no guru. And then they think, oh, I, they have faith in Prabhupada because Prabhupada said that such-and-such will happen, or such-and-such will happen. My books will be the law books for the next 10,000 years. Somebody told me, why are you writing your own books? Prabhupada's books will be the law books for the next 10,000 years. I said, really, when's it going to start? They're not the law books for the whole world right now. <laughs> I said, going to start tomorrow? When are those 10,000 years going to start? Uh, bah, bah, bah. I said, I said bah, Prabhupada said Balabanda will be president in 15 years, too. Uh, bah, bah. Uh, he said there will be a war soon, in 1976. It's now 1991. When's it coming? I said, try to understand. Prophet said many things for many purposes. But what are the teachings? All those things he said are true. But how are they true? If they don't measure out on the surface that the war comes, that Balabanta becomes president, oh, will, will I shake our faith? And we have to think why he said that. What was he thinking? Maybe he wanted to encourage one of his disciples Balavanta doesn't mean that's it. He will become president. And then when he doesn't, then my faith is shaken. Oh no, he didn't become president. The war didn't come. These books are not the law books. They're not like in the high courts yet. I said, what are the books? They are the law books. There's the Bhagavatam. It's Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's the Vedas. They're the law books of the world. Who recognizes that? Doesn't mean there shouldn't be any other books written. So, so they latch on to certain things that fit well with their mentality, and then they live within that space, and they call it Prabhupada consciousness. But it very well may not be Prabhupada consciousness at all. I mean, Prabhupada never taught us to dig bomb shelters, did he? When I was on the walk, when Prabhupada said there would be a war, I don't know if you were there. We went on a walk in my purpose soon there will be war. Oh, really? Everybody's like moving up close. Yes, it will happen like this. And he gave some scenario. And, and when I think about it now, he was like having fun with us. <laughs> you see, Prabhupada's a human being. I found, I saw a newsletter. The business of this newsletter, the food and drink of this newsletter is Vaishnava Parad. It circulates around. First they attacked Shudamars, then they attacked every other guru. Now they're attacking the description of Prabhupada and Lilamrita. There may be some fault in that. But a God brother sincerely tried to glorify Prabhupada, and I, 
and and that's the way I look at it. And there's much nice information there in Lilamrita and so forth. But they criticized him because he presents kind of a human side to Prabhupada. In other words, he doesn't present Prabhupada as the all-knowing God and super soul who at every minute knows what's going to happen. And, and it, but the human side is the wonderful side. The human side of God is the Krishna conception. That's what's wonderful. When Godbrother told me once in Hawaii, Prabhupada, they offered him a daub, you know, a daub coconut. He was on the Vyasasana. So that it was poured into his cup and he took a drink and it slipped and the whole thing fell on his lap. And we hear, the guru never makes a mistake. He, you know, everybody looks. Not that we thought that he couldn't. Learn, <laughs> but the way he, he just, you know, he just left, you know, smiled or something and just took it in stride and such that it was all like perfect and harmonious and we thought, yeah, he never makes a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> if he makes a mistake, it's not a mistake. It's just everything about him is just right. In other words, to make a, a relative mistake in, in ordinary sense is only a mistake as much as how you deal with it. The real mistake that the guru never makes is he never mistakes maya for Krishna. He never mistakes Krishna for maya. He always chooses Krishna. That he knows everything. One man challenged Prabhupada, Do you know everything? Yes. <laughs> then he said, How many windows are there in the Empire State Building? And as quickly as the man could give that question, Prabhupada said, As many drops of water as there are in illusion. <laughs> in other words, I know everything. I know this world is an illusion. That's everything you need to know about this world. The details are not important.